0: This is Cybersound, your simplified and fundamentals-focused source for all things cybersecurity, with your hosts, Jason Poufal and Stephen Mareska. Welcome to Cybersound. I'm your host, Jason Poufal, and as always, joined by Steve Mareska. Hey, Hey, Steve. Hey. So I think we both agree that today's uh, podcast has the potential to be pretty rambling. Uh, We're going to talk about the evolution of cyber attacks uh sort of the 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 evolution from call it then uh then could be as far back as 1970 uh to now um kind of walking through a little bit you know what the what the history of viruses malware you know attack intentions were things like that uh I know that you have some thoughts on how you want to start it. Uh, so, you know, why don't we kick it off right there with a little bit of a maybe
1: a. I guess we we'll call it a malware timeline, a virus timeline. <laughs> sure. So I, I've been accused, or uh, accused of having a bit of a computer museum or graveyard in general. I I, I like old things. History matters. I thought of a museum. Museum, yeah, that's better. Uh, history matters. And you know everything is everything that's old is new again, and that's especially true in technology. Um, I think that you know the important thing to know is that while cultural awareness of the population at large of computer viruses and malware and things like that began maybe in the early '90s, uh, maybe with some films at the time, maybe as early as you know mid '80s with uh, what's that uh, Matthew out Broderick there. movie? Oh, um. Oh, that should roll off. To, now it that should. should roll off, right? So I'm losing points here.
0: Um, I will. I'll think of it. Yeah, you threw me one I wasn't prepared for. No, this is this is important. War game. Uh, war games. Yeah. There you
1: go, Matthew Broderick. That's so, shameful. If everybody listening to this is like, how do they not know war <laughs> games immediately? So, so popular cultural awareness of things like viruses in general really started in the early '90s, maybe as far back as mid-80s with war games and other movies like hackers. But the truth is that it goes back a lot further than that. And especially in academia where computers really had their first foray out into the real world. And and you know, to a lesser degree, certainly in the military and similar. At the beginning, uh, viruses and malware were really just tricks played on colleagues. They were little toys. They they didn't really do anything. They were just sort of curiosities. Uh, they would do things like rename files or hide them on people. Silly little things of that sort. And I'm not going to mention anything particular. It doesn't matter. Over time, it moved to inconvenience. You know, tying up a computer so that others couldn't use it. It's not really malicious. It's just sort of in your intent. So kind of an early denial of service. Yeah, in, I in mean, a sense. before those terms were even right. invented, right? Right. Um, thereafter you know it was more of a pursuit of notoriety especially in the the late 80s early 90s Um, the the specific example that some people might want to go out and take a peek at is the morris worm it's it's something related to you know mass propagation of uh, across systems bottom line it it and things like it had to do with notoriety and awareness in the other uh, areas of computing it, they were really to make your name known by others so you know people would create such things to um, stake a claim to make noise to develop a reputation so so a, a technical
0: claim you know to demonstrating technical, a technical yeah, prowess, yeah, prowess okay.
1: yeah prestige in the technical realm of uh, I don't know. Civil disobedience or something to that effect.
0: Right. But so, so we really haven't yet then entered in your timeline what we'll call the, the real malice in a lot of ways. Right. Right. So we talked a little bit about hey, you're experimenting in the computer world. You're, you've done some stuff that probably manifests itself as inconvenient. Uh, maybe you're maybe you're demonstrating that you actually have expertise. Uh, but we haven't entered probably what you know, what I've described as a disruptive phase. No.
1: Yeah. It definitely not. Okay. So. Okay. I would say that that really began in earnest in the 90s with some earlier examples that aren't, you know, super important. But the the goal at the time was to, you know, encrypt a floppy so that you couldn't use it because the owner decided that you were using their software inappropriately or, you know, things of that sort. Propagation that would uh, harm systems to make them unusable or uh, turn documents into gibberish. Right. Those were the early um, early attacks in the 90s. So it, is it fair to say, though,
0: and I'm going to throw out a term that you may or may not have thought about getting to yet, uh, the idea of sort of hacktivism, right, where people had a maybe a political or a politically
1: motivated agenda or a social agenda yeah, hack, of some sort. Yeah, hack the planet in in, right. in Hackers, the movie. It's, yeah, I mean, that's what it was, right? Absolutely. And I absolutely.
0: think there was a period of time where, you know, DMCA, uh, the, the, the Copyright Infringement Act, right, uh, some of the viruses if i recall would go through and rename or delete mp3s right and, absolutely you know, music stolen or pirated music so you know there's definitely activities around uh, if you want to call it this you could call it the social good right where people actually had an agenda and they were trying to exercise what
1: they believed to be their right to do the right thing right information wants to be free is a common phrase <laughs> right. used in that right. realm and it's true it, it it was the goal of many early hacktivists before that was a a real term of art that people threw around to, uh, you know, expose information, to publicize stuff that was secret, to make things like copyrighted music available for all, um, to make expensive things available to those without means. Those were really, you know, some of the early efforts of uh, malware and viruses. Now, Were things occurring at the same time that were legitimately malicious? Absolutely. But they were more narrow. We're talking in the realm of industrial espionage, nation-state warfare, that sort of thing. Uh, And then everyone suddenly had computers everywhere. You know, the late 90s really made the breadth of available systems on the internet at large and uh, companies in general worth attacking for motives other than pure public amusement All right. so,
0: so on your timeline now we're, we'll, we'll say we're entering the, the modern age yeah to a degree right late 90s
1: No I, certainly late 90s, but I think that everyone that really has a, a memory of this time in terms of inconvenience might remember the early worms 2000, 2003 in that time frame when yeah. uh, you know computer systems that were on the network without firewalls exposed to the internet. Um, could be brought down in an afternoon across the entire planet because of some sort of a vulnerability, and that's when you know true capability to disrupt and true capability to cause harm actually really were manifest. So maybe just for posterity's sake, uh,
0: th- throw out, we'll throw out a couple of the, you know, some of the, some of the big names, right? The big guns back there in the late '90s. Uh, Certainly, you know, the Melissa worm was one that I feel like anybody who's maybe 40 or more might remember, (laughs) Uh, you know, the I love you virus, I think, was a really interesting one, Um, you know, because I think it it so clearly took advantage of the people aspect of this, Uh, you know, encouraging people to click on attachments uh, you know, who doesn't want love? I suppose, <laughs> uh, but 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 that's what it was, right? It, you right, it affected millions of systems. Real transition to that social engineering and you know encouraging the population to essentially be part of your attack, right? And and that might not be the first one. I think it's probably very recognizable.
1: Right. Other examples were like the Enron virus, which right. spread via email and sent uh, using all the contacts that you had in your inbox. Uh, and, you know, that's when we talk about true um, legal action being taken against uh, some of the creators. That right. that specific example resulted in, I believe, in uh, either community service or jail time. It, you know, that's when we're in a different realm where it's criminalized. Uh, we have actual laws on the books that are um, taking action against such activity. And it's, I wouldn't say the inflection point, but certainly around the time where um, criminal elements started to use these techniques and these tools to affect businesses, right. to acquire data, to impact or otherwise stop business from occurring.
0: But still not really heavily targeted, right? So you know, when you talk about a, a, a virus that would utilize your address book to basically propagate, right, to send itself out, not hugely targeted. You don't really know who you're getting, so it's very opportunistic. Um, Broaden
1: it. Drive-by type attacks, absolutely. Right, right. so disruptive for sure, um, but not where we are today, right? Right, exactly. And I would say that was largely the case for a few more years. Uh, the blaster worm was something that might be recalled. It had to do with um, you know, vo- Windows vulnerability at the time and also spread internationally very quickly. Yeah, and Windows got a real bad rap through all this uh, for sure right? right
0: as being that platform that everybody was exploiting and, and you know with, without fairly accounting for the
1: fact that it probably was you know 90 percent of the computing base at the time but and it, i would say this time frame is when antivirus was generally accepted to be a required tool right to protect systems certainly you know norton was around for the better part of 15 or 20 years at that time frame so it wasn't new but everyone was everyone meaning you know late people, people at home with new computers who are, you know, helping their kids do homework. That's when everyone was affected. Right. Well, and you're hugely reliant
0: on a tool like Norton. I mean, I can remember being in scenarios where, uh, you know, Blaster or one of these things came out and the conversation among the IT people was, is there a definition for it, right? Or is there a way to get a definition for it? So you're really reliant on those tools to detect and, you know, hopefully clean. I think, you know, more likely they could clean it sort of back then than, right. than some of the things you see now.
1: But you're getting into the cat and mouse game of this entire totally. reality. Um, those tools are driven by known issues. And if they don't encounter it, they don't know how to protect against it, to find it, to clean up after it. And, you know, today that's not the case. We use tools that are behaviorally oriented, that detect anomalies that aren't encountered before. But in the bad old days, that was not the case. And it's certainly... Uh, took a great amount of time to get the proper data and visibility in the systems to improve those tools so it took a long time
0: so we talked a little bit right in the timeline there is the we we'll call it the the benign phase I'm, <laughs> I'm breaking these up into 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 eras uh you know the benign phase uh maybe the maybe the activism phase to some degree
1: um and they're parallel threads; they're not necessarily sequential. For right? sure,
0: yeah. But but in the evolution of this, and then we probably talked a little a hair about disruption. But I think yeah, I feel like we're we're really in. We've
1: moved past disruption nowadays. Um, oh yes. And much more into the extortion side of things, right? right? The theft and extortion mm-hmm. side. And I'd say that was you know the tail end of the 2000s when we really started to see that shift. Obviously there were many examples prior to that with you know individual companies being held ransom or had demands placed upon them because of some attack via virus. But the truth is that the, the shift to what we now call ransomware maybe began in the in the late two thousands. At the end of the day, um it's a question of profit motive. It's a question of this entire realm shifting towards money. And Prior to the better part of the period we're talking about prior to it, you know, it was political messaging. It was making a statement or just seeing what would happen, you know, curiosity of the malicious sort. Um, I think that extortion in general, especially today with ransomware, is, is the goal. And if not, you know, simply destroying a perceived enemy of the people or an enemy of a, a state right. or you name it. That's that's what happens. I mean, we could use um, Stuxnet, you know, the more industrial espionage type issues. We've made reference to that in the supply chain stuff that we talked about a couple episodes ago. It's it's an element in this overall timeline, um, but it's sort of a, it's a cul-de-sac. It's a parallel path and it certainly doesn't affect everybody.
0: But we we're, but we're, we're certainly see much more targeted or focused attacks. Mm-hmm. No question about that. Um, yeah,
1: there's forethought in the attacker's approach.
0: Well, and, we, and I think we've spoken a little bit about it being you know, a business, right? That office environment with structure to the attacks, thought behind who they want to attack, thought about the data or the outcome, right? Uh, what strikes me, though, through this is, you know, in, in what, 10 minutes here, we walk through 50 years of the virus history pretty quickly. Uh, there's certainly... Um, there are certainly elements, though, of, this, of, of the attacks that are largely the same, right? So I think they all leverage or focus on people, right? There's this huge social engineering quality to some of the first attacks, right? We talked about I love you as, as sort of that social engineering piece. Of, there's, there's examples of it way before that. Um, email. Remains a really, really successful delivery mechanism for these. Uh, maybe the payloads a little bit different, right? But the idea of enticing somebody to take action on your behalf yeah,
1: remains really effective. At the beginnings, people were the the creators of these tools. They were doing so for for fun or you know reputational reasons. They shifted to they shifted to using uh, they that part. But people being the common thread ultimately because, uh, you know, they were the creators to begin with, but then they became the targets themselves. Email, phishing, those are the example. Uh, The reason for it is simple. Defensive tools became better. Systems are better protected. But the common thread between everything is the fact that people, their behavior, their perception of threat is vulnerable and no technology can really protect against that. It, and they know that.
0: Right? I mean, there's there's no question about it that even with good training, uh, even with good technology in place, the opportunity exists for these to be really successful
1: for the foreseeable future. You don't need a piece of malware if someone willingly gives up their password and allows you to impersonate them. And that's what what, what
0: do we what do we read earlier i think you know 20 to 25% of security incidents uh originate as a result of just credential theft right whether that is somebody providing credentials or maybe you know maybe a little more of a technical technique but
1: yeah 20 20% of all breaches are are right. initiated in some sort of credential release 80% themselves uh being associated with identity theft it's it's a, they're sobering numbers yeah yeah and and
0: i don't even know that we I don't know there's any likelihood of that improving in the, in the near
1: term. As technologies improve and detection methods improve as well, the only thing left are people. And therefore, that's the shift of all of these attacks. And that will remain the case no matter how good these technologies become. The um, The interesting part, I think, is,
0: is that transition from, you know, experimental to intentional Uh, and i think you know that 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 is something i feel like we really just want i really personally want to drive home which is you know we have conversations all the time and people feel like they it's unlikely that that they individually or they as their business would be victims of these types of attacks Uh, when in reality the motivation is different than it used to be and you know financial is a big component of it uh, certainly, you know, there's some social components to it potentially as well. Um, uh, but I think everybody represents an opportunity at this point. Uh, there's a lot of money in in, in this kind of hacking, right? I don't love that term necessarily. Um, uh, but there's a lot of money there. And I think as long as there's a lot of money and you know, people are paying ransoms or people aren't doing the appropriate thing proactively, we're going to see this stuff exist.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's never ending ultimately. Um, Anything you wanted to end with? I think you know, we could spend a lot of time on it, it, of this stuff. But. Yeah, it's really complex territory. I mean, the people who are creating viruses in the early 90s today are often finding bugs as opposed to creating malware. Right. And just like anything else, there's a double-edged sword to it. Uh, the WannaCry ransomware uh, kill switch, it was triggered by one of those researchers because he recognized a bug in that uh, in that ransomware and used it against it to liberate many PCs from that infection. Is that ethical? Is it beneficial? These are debatable things. Um, And without a doubt, a lot of suffering and potential harm was saved by using that framework to stop the propagation of the platform. But, you know, the the skills, the people involved, again, returning to people being the common thread, the people need to be there. And if their efforts are redirected towards good, We'll be better off. So I think so. that's a nice way to end. Right? It's always <laughs> nice to end positively.
0: And I think that idea that there is an outlet for those who have the intellectual curiosity to explore how things work and where the vulnerabilities might be. You know, bug bounties uh, exist. Right. You know, companies pay talented people to identify weaknesses so they can fix them. I know Uh,
1: several people who make their living doing that.
0: Yeah. And so, so that's one way. And and even if you do it simply as nothing more than an intellectual exercise, uh, you, you know, most companies appreciate if you let them know, you don't want to do the opposite of that and just make them public without giving a company an opportunity to fix a mistake that they had.
1: Responsible disclosure of vulnerabilities in general. That's a, that's a subject for another day, and sure, I think we I just, should discuss it actually because it impacts how we triage issues. But without a doubt, that's important as well. So
0: uh, yeah, so maybe a future a future episode on responsible disclosure. I think I mean I think that actually is not a bad idea at all. Uh, but with that, I think we spent a little bit of time. It, but we covered fifty years in fifteen minutes. Uh, if anybody does want to hear maybe you know, some more uh, some more information or you know sort of explore some of this stuff in more depth, maybe. Let us know. You know. We're always happy for, for input or suggestions. Uh, reach out at VanCord Security on Twitter uh, and we'll, we'll incorporate comments or questions if we can. Uh, but with that, as always, thanks for listening and we hope you got some value out of this. Stay vigilant, stay resilient. This has been Cybersound.